This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. Diversified game. You know, we're here to show you how to start, sustain, and succeed in business. I have an entrepreneur, Miss Valerie Harris, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. And these are some of the best conversations I get to have because she too is a PRTist, a public relations professional, you guys, who also I'm sure has a creative side because you have to have that in this game, especially the last. Valerie, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, and thank you. I love that P-Artist. I might, might have to steal that one from you. Please, please do, because I, I stole it from um, my, my young guns, um, Tyson and AL, who are also czars like ourselves, and they just happen to be black, too, so they're not hard to find in that czar group. But um, I love having PR conversations, and... I just want you to kind of start, how did you start, you know, with this? Because everybody sometimes has a unique way, but we all find a way where it's like, oh, I did that too. I did that too. And then you blossom into this, you know, PR professional. Right. Well, I'll give you a little bit about my background. And I think I do definitely have an unconventional way that I got into this business, uh, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, so I'm a Tar Heel, go Hills. And my major was economics. And uh, after college, I had a couple of jobs and then I landed in Atlanta at Delta Airlines, which I love that job, love that company. And while I was at Delta, I started thinking about wanting to start my own business. I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And so I started thinking, what would I do? And I wrote my first press release and it was, completely correct. Uh, I just have a knack for PR. Just, I've always had a knack for it. And I've always been a really good writer. So those things kind of married well. So I started trying to start my business on the side, but working for Delta, it gets hard to leave a good company with free flight benefits. I mean, so every time I was thinking I was going to pull the trigger, I was like, ah, I just don't know, flying for free and getting, getting to travel wherever I want was just hard to pass up. But then 9-11 hit, unfortunately. And so the job I had at Delta went away. Uh, so I took that opportunity to take a package deal. And Delta ended up being my first client. Uh, they, a lot of people were uh, furloughed or laid off. And they needed someone who understood the business. So uh, I was called to write a speech for the chief marketing officer at the time. And then Delta was my first and only client for about the first year and a half. Or so. And so then Delta went through hard times like a lot of companies and a lot of consultants were um, released or we're not going to give you any more projects, so to speak. And from there, I just started digging around, um, just looking. I was interested in sports. So I did some stuff with with um, Mathis from the Falcons, Terrence Mathis. And uh, I did some stuff with the city of Atlanta and just whatever industry came to me, I was um, interested in learning more about it and helping as a PR strategist. So 
Wow, so you didn't even have a news background and you lucked up with your first client being a small company like Delta. That is a blessing. <laughs> That's a tiny little company. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. And I would say one of the benefits, or I, I guess I would call it luck, where people say there is no luck because where skill meets opportunity. But uh, the lucky thing for me with Delta was that um, I don't know if you've ever worked in the airline industry in any way, but it's a very dynamic industry and it can be hard to understand. So people walking in off the street and just understanding that the massive components. So they needed someone who understood the business. And I had that because I had been there for 10 years. So it kind of fell in my lap that way. But um, my skills kept me there. So. Yes. And so did you, you know, was, was PR a focus when you were in college? Did you take any courses or were you motivated to kind of be like, you know, I saw so-and-so do this, so I can kind of lean on them if I get um, in a, a hard place? No, and no, no. <laughs> so I, I guess the components of PR I've always had. Yeah, I love working with people. I'm really good at building relationships. Uh, I like connecting people. I've always done that. So if I hear someone who's, you know, who is interested in a fashion business, then I would say, let me introduce you to. So I've always had those skills. And as I said, I've always been a good writer. But when I was in college, majoring in um, economics, my goal at the time was to be one of the seven economic advisors to the president. <laughs> So then I find out that that needs to go all the way to PhD level and I was tired of school. And so I said, okay. So when we, when I moved to Atlanta, I actually started with Delta as a flight attendant. And I, the, at the time Delta pretty much required everyone to start on the front in a frontline position because they want you to understand the business. And so I applied in marketing and got the job as a flight attendant and i was like okay i'll do this and it was the best three years of my life and so then i worked my way inside of delta uh, during the olympics the 96 olympics here i was the olympic marketing coordinator for two and a half years and uh, that's how i got into it so i've always had a love for it but it wasn't my degree not that that um, having an economics degree has not served me well. It, it does serve me well almost every day. So. Now with, you know, after Delta, then what did you do to kind of bounce back and get some more clients? Because I mean, here you have huge Delta and I don't know if you got to keep your flight benefits, but what a blessing that would be. I'm sure you weren't, you know, you, you weren't stuck ever um, if you needed a flight. But what did you do to go get more clients and what type of clients um, did you go after? Oh, uh, I kept my flight benefits for five years. I remember the day they ended because that was a painful day. <laughs> but uh, I kept my flight benefits for five years. And then uh, I had Delta and another client, uh, I say fell in my lap, but I, I say that loosely. Um, she had seen some work I had done, volunteer work for for another person, and she just was impressed. So she was a, is a shoe designer, and she was at the time was one of only fifteen black female shoe designers in the world, which I learned a lot there that mostly white men design women's shoes. 
So, so she had that niche and uh, I helped her. It was the year Halle Berry won the Oscar. So it was just perfect timing in terms of, you know, black girl magic, so to speak. So that client came to me as a referral. And from there forward, I mean, I'll, I'll honestly say knock on wood that I have never advertised. Every client I have ever had has come to me either from me networking or from referrals. And right now, um, HBO is a client. Um, I had Disney on Ice and Ringling Brothers Circus and Monster Jam and Disney Live. And all of that was either referral business or me picking up the phone, calling someone to say, I see that you need XYZ. Can I come and make a presentation? So that is one of the skills that I don't know if that works for everyone in this business, but for me, it is. it has been total referral business and repeat business from referrals. So I love that you said that. I could put that on loop for the rest of the interview and it would then match what I'm always telling people, especially those folks who I'm sure they hit you up in the emails or they may call, hey, do you want to advertise? And I say, I've never had to. And God willing, I'll never have to. Have I had things in magazines and, you know, different shows? Sure. But that was because they were either client, they were clients, and they wanted to do that for me sometimes because, you know, I might not know. They might have been running out of money and said, hey, <laughs> right. we need you to stay on. And he's like, hold on. Oh, that's what that advertisement was about. Right. Oh, in, in your magazine. Right. I, I, and, and you've had, you know, people are going to hear this and they're going to see you and say, oh, she's one of the lucky ones. But I've known others who've had, you know, HBO and Disney, um, some right. others, are, I won't say their business. What do you think it is about you? And is it the conferences you go to, the professional groups you're a part of? Because people will sometimes look at you like a unicorn because they haven't had um, that level of success. Well, <laughs> the... I always think about what Denzel Washington says. People see Denzel now and, and they just think that happened overnight, you know, and Denzel will be quick to tell you that he did off Broadway and was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, you know, living in his wife's parents' basement because people don't see that grind that, and the grind that continues to happen, you know, and the days where I say, Oh, am I going to, am I going to have a project today? So I think that, um, the one thing that people have to understand, I, I would say, is that you have to be willing to be told no and not stop. Because I, for, for all the clients I've had, I've had people turn me away all the time. But it doesn't stop me. So you hone your craft, make sure you're good at your skill, and make sure you also have, um, you have a portfolio that shows what, what you can do. And you just have to not be afraid to say, this is what I can do for you. And then you have to do it. So. Do you ever worry about, you know, not having a client and do you have any other, you know, businesses that you are running in case that ever was to happen? Yes. And yes. <laughs> so this is what I tell entrepreneurs well, people in general, I think that everyone should have multiple sources of income. That, that's my economics background. 
and whatever that looks like, if it's stocks and if you trade, if you, if you work a part-time job, if you have several businesses, but you always have to have multiple sources of income. And in 2008, that's the, that's the year my friend um, coined when the money party was over. <laughs> when the financial crash, I lost, I, well, I did not lose HBO, but they said, okay, we got five projects on the table for you and we're gonna take four of them off because everyone was just restructuring during that time. And I actually lost two clients who one closed their doors and one got rid of half of their consultants. But uh, the year before I purchased a cruise franchise, which I still have. And so when my PR business was, you know, chugging along very slowly, I said, okay, well, I'm just gonna pour myself into, into this cruise business. So that's what I did. And I still have that business just because it's an asset to leave my daughter, one. But then two, if something, if something falls short, then you have something on the other side to, to pick up and run with. And I, I recommend that regardless of what type of business you have. So. Can you give more detail on the cruise business? My audience constantly hears me say, and I have websites for, you know, invest in this, invest in Africa. Here's investments you can do for under a thousand that will give you more than 15% on your money. And so I, again, I, I want, I show people that this is true, not because I'm doing it, not because I'm lucky, but it's because this is what business, you know, entrepreneurs, this is what we think about how to make more money in different areas. So talk about your cruise business a little bit. And because somebody will hear it and say, oh, is that like one of those multi-level marketing type things? And I want you to clarify and give a shout out. Well, I'll give a shout out to Cruise One, uh, Dream Vacations. And no, it's not multi-level marketing. And one thing that I am adept at, maybe my econ background, but I am a researcher. One of my friends tells anybody, if you are ever thinking about getting into business, check with Val first, because chances are she has done the research. So when I decided that I wanted to have another um, source of income, I missed travel from Delta. So I missed, I missed travel so much and I wanted to see if I could get back into travel. And I was actually flipping through Entrepreneur Magazine and there was an ad in the back for Cruise One. And so I said, hi, I never, I had only ever been on one cruise at the time. And I, well, let me look into this. So I started researching. I researched um, Cruise One and I researched all of their competitors. And I landed on Cruise One for a, for a few reasons. One, it is actually a franchise that if you want to sell it, you can. And sometimes you know you have restrictions on that. And also it's, a, it's something that I could leave to my daughter as an asset. So those were two big things. But then uh, they gave me, customers to contact, other cruise franchisees to contact to see how things were doing. They were just an open book on their business. And that was in 2009, seven, eight or nine, I can't remember now. And from that day to this, I have had not one regret. I would refer it and I have people call me now. Sometimes I people call me and I tell them, I am getting not a dime to refer you to Cruise One. They are a good business. Their back office is outstanding. The marketing support that they give to us is outstanding. 
the customer support area is outstanding. So I have been, um, I have been very happy with them. And then they also let you, they give you guidance, but they let you be a franchisee. So you have rules you have to follow, of course, but they give you the freedom to run your business the way that you want to run it. So. I love it. I, I, I love it. I love it. And tell I, love them I it. sent you, if anyone calls Cruise one, tell them I sent you. <laughs> No, definitely. And if you send me the link, I will put them, your PR link as well as that link in the description box because, you know, with Unity, we all win. And I, I really thank you for even doing this because so many, you know, PR artists would not come in front of the camera. They're so used to being behind and somewhat, um, I don't even want to call it shy, but not understanding that the industry is changing now and that it's almost, you know, forcing people to create a platform somewhere because of what the residual income, you know, we're seeing clients make six and seven figures in just, you know, whether it be a YouTube, a TikTok, a Facebook, and you need to be able to tap into that, even if it's in the teaching. So I, I appreciate you doing that. Um, You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, but we, we ain't any, anywhere close to being done. I, I want to talk about the finances. I find that so many people struggle in this business to request what they feel they deserve. Um, and so they'll do stuff for, you know, some people do stuff for $500. And we have a joke here where um, we don't open up our computers for $500. Like, that's all we do. <laughs> Open right, it right. up. Um, <laughs> how did you? How did you get your rate sheet and your prices together, especially dealing with these, you know, uh, huge companies? Well, I will. I will go on record to say that I've, I've been guilty of that underpricing myself, especially in the beginning, because it, you don't want to turn business away. Uh, right out of the box, I did a few things for free. Uh, for nonprofits, which I still do every, I try and do every year to just um, pro bono, but I was trying to build up my portfolio. And then because, you know, we don't have the, the big firm or I didn't have the big firm reputation behind me, you know, some of my first clients I was, I did underprice myself. So the advice I would give to people is that you just have to stand in the confidence and you also have to stand in what you've done for for other clients and i have not lowered my price before and lost a client because they felt as if you know were you charging too much that has happened too and it can be scary especially when you're you know for a while the only business i ran was cruise one i mean for it was um it was the kinsey group at the time before i changed the name that was my only source of income so when it's that way, you can be afraid to leave money on the table. So you just have to stand in your confidence and your capabilities. And then once you start to build your portfolio, like now I focus mostly on documentary films because that's my love. I just finished John Lewis, Good Trouble, which was outstanding. And uh, he passed away while, while we were working on that. So that was, that was hard, but I, it was an honor to work on that. And the filmmaker, uh, Dawn Porter, uh, she came, that's the third film I've handled for her. The first one was with HBO. 
Um, I was actually, HBO is my client and they distributed Gideon's Army for her. And she was so happy with my work. She brought me off for Trapped and then she called me for Good Trouble and she's referred me to five other films. So once you kind of have that kind of backing and you can show what you have done. Now I don't, I don't quibble. When people offer me a price that doesn't work for me, I just say, it's a wonderful project, but I'm not going to be able to do this. Do so. you ever, you know, ever use this tactic where, you know, it's a, maybe it's a project you really like, or maybe you know that they're lowballing you, whatever. But I find myself saying, you know, if you don't have the money, give me a piece of it. I want ownership. Have you ever thought about that down that road? I have not, but that's something to consider. <laughs> yes, that is something to consider. I have bartered before because of um, things that I have needed. And uh, so I have bartered, but I've not done that. That is, oh. that is, that is. Well, I, and I, st and I started that for myself because, you know, when you're trying to come up the ranks and doing more than PR, really uh, folks say, Kelly, you you do more consulting than anything. But, you know, there's, it, it's so close together of what we do and, and what the client needs. But to tell them, if you give me a piece of it, and you have the, sometimes the brokest of person say, I want to give you a piece of my dream. This is the, you know, billion dollar industry, billion dollar product. And you're like, okay, well, I don't like to deal with entrepreneurs that are greedy because if it's such a huge project and you say, when you blow up, I blow up, I can't blow up if I don't have ownership. Right. Um, and if you, you know, if you don't have money, um, we all have to, you know, we, we need money for, for all things. Um, that's the script. eat specifically, right? <laughs> yeah. What, where do you think, and, and I'm, and I ask this to everyone and, and I'm not necessarily asking you about your rate. So the people will be in your pocket, but what do you think a good budget is for someone who's looking for a firm, an agency of your size, where should they be coming in? Because a lot of people are ignorant to how much it will cost. So I don't do much talking. They get links, they get, you know, scope of works, capability statements, decks, and let the paperwork talk. And if you can afford it, holler back at me. So we don't have to do this kind of back and forth type deal. But people always say that's expensive. I say, yeah. <laughs> How do you think HBO, Disney, Delta, <laughs> you know, get where they're at? <laughs> right, right. What's, what's a good budget and, and what's a minimum for the month so we can educate people on what they should be looking at when they reach out to a firm like yours? Well, and that, that question is always tough for me to answer. And that's because... I never, I'm, I'm never paid the same way. It depends on the project. So I tell people typically, you know, I'm either paid by the hour, I'm either paid by the project or retainer fee. It depends on the project. So for HBO, typically, if I'm handling one film and it's a set period of time, then here's the fee to handle this. Uh, I have handled uh, ongoing where it's a retainer fee and then there are people who say, I can only do 10 hours a week. This is what I can afford, 10 hours a week. And then I structure and say, okay, for 10 hours a week, this is what I can do for you, you know, if the pricing works. So it's really hard for, for me to 
to give a rate because my rates have been all low. I don't even have a rate card. I just sit down with the client to say, what is it that you need? And then I build it from there. Um, naturally, the Deltas and the HBOs of the world, you know, have higher budgets than, you know, documentary films normally are working on a shoestring budget. So then those budgets might be lower, but then the, the, the services that I provide might not be meet the same level, if that makes sense. Well, give us a range of the hourly and what a retainer could look like, because there's a PR professional who's starting who says, this is the one question I can't answer for myself, and I, and, and I can't find enough documentation on it that I believe, uh, especially if they are a minority, especially if they are a um, black person, because we know that black folk struggle to get what white counterparts get in this business, right. uh, especially in the beginning. So, you know, somebody right now is working for $10 an hour and their clients like mad at them, not understanding that that's nowhere in the ballpark that you should be paying somebody if you want, you know, right. results. So what's a range hourly so, or so the, the last research that, that I did, and this is what, this is what I share with people. Um, it depends. Like if you're at the junior account executive level, if you're just starting, then it could range anywhere from, you know, $90 an hour, you know, depending on if you're getting executive level services that could go up into the hundreds of dollars an hour uh, retainer fee wise it that depends too it could be you know a couple of three thousand a month it could go up to ten fifteen thousand it just depends on you know the level of the services and then I also when people are just getting started I, I encourage them to to take into account that if you're just getting started, it would be hard for you to command what someone who's been in the business for 15 years, regardless of how good you are, it's just going to be hard to make that case. So uh, I've told people you can do things like, you know, shop a PR firm, like call a major PR firm and, and ask them, you know, if I'm getting a junior account executive, you know, how much, how much would that cost? Or if it's, you know, something enterprise that is going to have someone at a higher level, how much would that cost? And that'll give people an idea. But I do encourage people when you're first starting, you know, you don't want to come in like at a Kellen price because if you're just getting started, because it's going to be hard to make that case. So. Okay. No, that that's fair. And you guys have heard me say before, um, start at $4,000 a month. And um, if you have below that, then we're talking about, you know, limited, limited hours, more of, you know, kind of hourly, a block of, of some sort, just because most PR professionals that I know who've been doing it over 10 years, we really put our, our heart, our soul, our energy into the project. It's almost like it's our projects. We want it to win um, and we work hard at it. So you, you need to pay for that dedication. I, I had a um, potential client call me, um, white guy called me in finance and, you know, talked about all the money he made and, you know, how things are blowing up on this platform, that platform, he doesn't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, cool, cool. 
And when I sent the, the scope of work and, the, you know, what the contract would look like, he, he was like, wait, this is, this is more than I have. And he started telling me how much money he didn't have. And I'm seeing this is why you don't lead with your wallet, fellas. Right, and of course, he right. was a single guy. So guys know, oh, all they know, leave my wallet, leave my car, leave with my house, not understanding that, nah, you lead even in, in dating with that. People are going to have certain expectations. Right. And, you know, it is, it is what it is. And he's like, I don't want to lowball you, but um, it, it's never a lowball if I can get a piece of what you're, you're doing. Um, so I, I just love that you share that. Now, where has PR taken you, especially because you've had the Delta Connect? Talk about some of these trips. Where's like some of the most exotic places you've been able to go? Oh, exotic. Well, um, I've been, well, not all over the world because I have not been to Africa, which is on my, my list. But I mean, I've been to Italy. I've been to Spain and Germany and Great Britain and Ireland and I want to say maybe Austria. You know, I've been all over the United States. In fact, that that Facebook um, that Facebook um, game that goes around sometimes. How many states have you visited? And I always love taking that because I've been to every state except for three, I think. And um, so yeah, I've been all over. I've not been to South America except for. I mean, if you want to consider Mexico, South America, I've been to many parts of Mexico. And my favorite place outside of the United States is Paris. I'd move there tomorrow if I could. Which three states haven't you been to? I have not been to Iowa. I have not been to Montana. And now I forgot the other one. I have to look at the list. I haven't been to Iowa. I haven't been to Montana. And I haven't been to Vermont. Iowa, Montana, Vermont. I've been to every other state in the United States. Oh. I would say Montana and Iowa, no disrespect to any of y'all, but you haven't missed much. Vermont <laughs> is beautiful. Yes, it, it is actually <laughs> on my list of places to visit a bed and breakfast. So. Yeah. If you've been to Maine, I would say Vermont is like its hip cousin. And, mm -hmm. you know, you'll enjoy the, the, the food, whatnot. Um, sorry, Montana, I can't say anything nice about y'all. Except it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've never been, but I mean, I would love to go during, in the fall just to see, just to see the landscape. I'll go anywhere in the world. Um, it, it's just, you know, certain places, they, they just got some building and, and, and rebuilding to, to do. And so you, and you said Mexico and that's Central America. So you, you've gotten around through the PR. And so folks, you don't have to join the Navy to travel. You can become, you know, a, a publicist and be able to move. Yes. Um, Africa, you said the magic word, if you say Africa, and I know I mentioned it earlier about investments, but- Well, Africa I wanted to talk to you about that. <laughs> Yeah, Africa's waiting for you and the opportunity that is out there. Um, a few weeks ago, we just re re uh, registered one of my uh, YouTube clients in uh, Kenya because um, he fell in love, him and his wife. They fell in love. And yeah. he had fallen in love when we went to Ethiopia, but he didn't have his wife. So, you know, it's never complete. 
until you have your whole family on board. But Africa is booming and you'll just be an entrepreneur out there. I tell everybody to go to my, my beta website, mallofafrica.africa. I'll send you a link. Okay. But see the different, you know, things you can do. And what's crazy about the PR is every time we go to Africa, Black Americans, I feel like a RoboCop. I'm a hybrid Negro. Because... <laughs> I'm looked upon as you're more than welcome, you're home. Wherever I go, I've been to four different African countries. Um, I've been to 16 different countries all together, plus probably. And I like to get the language wherever I go, at least the basics, you know. If I'm in Malawi, Mulibongi. If I'm in South Africa, uh, Sabona, Malo. You know, if, if we're, wherever we're at, we're in Ethiopia, Salam. You got to be able to get the, 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 the language down and things just open up, even if you just try. Kind of like you speak Spanish here to folks, you know, in Spanish. Say, como estas? And they, you know, just light up. Like, okay, you like our culture. Right. But your business is so needed because of even the software that we use. Consider like even Cision. Most African publicists don't have access to decision. Oh, wow. Oh. You know, uh, Meltwater, they'll say that stuff is expensive and they're not making any. Um, the yes wares, even the tracking, even the, you know, sometimes we even use that stuff here and people are like, how'd you know I opened your email? I got the tracking on my email. It's part of the job. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but but there are, there, there is such a uh, cross- uh, across um, business that you can do. And I think you would just love it. Uh, when you were in Italy, were you single? Yes. <laughs> I was. Did, how many, okay, how many times did they propose to you in Italy? Well, I'm going to be honest. I got more of that in Paris, believe it or not. But um, a couple of times in, in Italy, a couple of times. Okay, and I, okay. But I will say this um, in terms of marriage proposals, which I find very interesting. I told you I handled the Olympics for Delta. And so we, I was a marketing coordinator. But during the Olympics, my venue was uh, was the baseball stadium, which was Atlanta Fulton County Stadium here. They tore it down and they built the Olympic Stadium. And uh, so I was on duty the day that that Cuba, Cuba, Cuba played. And so I got to see Fidel Castro, which was very interesting. He came to the game. And so they put this Barbara fence up on either side of the bus so that when the bus comes up, they step off the bus and then they, they go, into the, go into the locker room. And they had to do that because they said of the high probability of defection. So during that time, I mean, we would walk past and they would say, oh, you know, would you like to get married? There is money there is money. We're like, what is going on here? But so I would, that tops my uh, marriage proposals from Cubans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. They, they, they got to try. They got to try. Um, with all the success that you've had, and I know you tapped into, you know, doing some stuff for nonprofits. What is your community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future? Well, I always want to do as much as possible. But so when I first started my company, 
once a year, I would pick a nonprofit and just either handle an event for them or a capital campaign or just I would do one big thing for them. And then when I got really busy, I couldn't do that anymore. Uh, so the Georgia Center for Nonprofits here, which is the which is the membership organization for all Georgia nonprofits, I approached them many years ago to to offer a PR class because the people, you know, the huge organizations that come to the Georgia Center for Nonprofits who have these huge budgets, they don't need it. But small nonprofits have no idea and then they can't afford to hire anyone. So what I do is spend a day giving them just little tips that if they can't afford to hire anyone, then these are the things you can do yourself. And I help them get their plan down. So if you have to hire someone, at least you can get it to a point and maybe you can get it to a point where your budget can bring on a consultant. So I've been doing that for 15 years. And actually the Georgia Center for Nonprofits now has created what they call nonprofit university where, where organizations can come in and get certified to do things. So my PR module is a part of a bigger certification that they get in marketing. And I teach it a couple of times a year. I was supposed to teach it in September, but because of COVID, I wasn't able to do it. So I don't know when the next one, but I did one in February, I think. And it gives me a lot of joy because all of the nonprofits sitting there are, you know, on a shoestring budget and you have the nonprofits who the person sitting there is the executive director and the and the development manager and the PR person and administrative, they're doing everything. So it's very hands-on. Um, they walk out of there with, with, we don't just talk about stuff. We get right into it. I have documents for them to start creating a plan. And I also, we spend about an hour or so just talking about what their nonprofit is and what might be media hooks or how they might reach out to someone who may want to sponsor them. And I've gotten emails from people who listened to me and actually got press and they were excited about it or made a connection with um, an organization or a company that was donating money to them. And they're excited about that. So. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Love that. You gotta, gotta give the live. Can you My grandmother about- used to say that, you know, to whom when we were younger, she would say to whom much is given much is expected. And we didn't understand that because we didn't have a lot of money. So we're like, what do we have? But as you get older, you understand that. My cousin was a candy striper at the hospital at 14. She always made us give back to the community in some way. So that's still in my heart. Yes, yes. That is uh, Luke 12, 48. uh, We didn't appreciate it as kids. (laughs) Well, you know, kids, I, I think I was the perfect child you know, sometimes, but kids never appreciate what until later on. And it's not till really I'm, I'm, you know, I've always really worked from home, but now I am a homeschool assistant teacher, a job that I've actually had in real life. And I ran from that substitute job as quick as I could after grad. (laughs) I was like, get me out of here. Oh my God. I'm dealing with fire alarms going off and a 13 year old saying, Mr. Kellen on top of the desk. I got a baby at home and she was pregnant at the time. I said, another one, get off. You know, um, yeah. Well, my 11 year old is upstairs in the office right now in sixth grade. So we've been, we've been homeschooling and it has been interesting. We'll say. 
I told her teachers, when this pandemic is over, you're going to hear me coming. I'm going to sound like a NASCAR driver because that's how I'm going to turn up into that school to drop her off. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Hats off. I mean, I've always, I've always respected teachers and felt like they, you know, are underpaid, but mm -hmm. it is nothing like dealing with it. You know, I told him, I said, I'm going to go in debt for you and buy you a Mercedes. <laughs> yeah. And only if that would do something for their long-term mental health, because the things that you hear, see, I, I still teach um, even for free at, at um, where I went to school in Grambling. I, I'll substitute. Oh, you're, you're a Grambling yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, One it, of my closest friends went to Grambling. Oh, it is the Harvard of the South. Uh, you know, that, that's what I, I call it. And I still do it in hopes of being able to teach the masses what they really need to know, because we know mm -hmm. most folks in school are getting book knowledge, but not practical knowledge, no matter what degrees, where you went, if you went to Harvard, wherever, and it's by someone who's not in the field nine out of 10 times. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a disservice. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. So I like the college level, but the middle school and high school level, my goodness, these, these folks need, like, they're saints. They're going for sainthood. Yeah. And I tell my daughter, some of the things that I'm, I'm actually somewhat glad that, that I've gotten to witness this. She, she actually is gifted, not bragging. That's the truth. And uh, she's been tested as gifted. And so it's one thing to see how her brain works, you know, after work every day and helping her with homework if need be. And it's another thing to see it in action. So I have gained a tremendous amount of respect for gifted teachers because the gifted brain is an interesting brain. Like it never turns off and it is constant. So something that should take 20 minutes with her takes 45 to an hour because of all that. Well, what if, well, did you look at it this way? And I'm like, can you put that answer down so we can turn this in? <laughs> So my hat's off to all teachers. I mean, it should be, if not the highest paid um, profession, it should be one of the highest paid professions in our country. And it really is not that hard. Uh, I, I do government PR sometimes and looking at RFQs and RFPs and, and, I, and it's not hard, but it's something that, you know, I, I've, in, I've interned on the Hill for a Congress member. Government doesn't want to change. And, you know, that's why you have to hold your nose, whoever you vote for, nine out of 10 times on that as well, because when you're on the Hill and you have a good idea, it's like being in corporate and having something they haven't done. In corporate, it's a lot easier, but government, we've done it for 100 years, and that's just the way we do it. I actually was told that by a man, a black man I was working under. He was the chief of staff. He's like, you really aren't going to be a good fit. You're too different. And you want to do ideas. I'm not saying they won't work, but that's not what Congress does. You know, as far as we don't change like that. We'll take seven years just to think about that idea. And I know I'm a genius. And I would tell them that even in, you know, middle school, elementary, like, no, I'll break your game to build it up. But you have to, you, and that's why entrepreneurship for me is the only way, because I make a terrible employee, because I have to <laughs> Right. <laughs> that, that, that I can show you 
can work. It's, I mean, I, I'll bet whatever on it, and I don't bet on anything, but I'll bet on me, and I, I know what we've been able to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, it's just one of those, those things. I got a little bit of, I don't know if you know who Al Heyman is. Say the name again. Al Heyman. Al Heyman. Okay, if you look in boxing, people like Mayweather and the boxers, he's their manager. He's their advisor. That's what he calls himself. But he never does interviews, and he never calls himself. He hasn't done an interview in over, like, 40 years. Wow. And, and, and I'm, I'm a little like him and, and Dame Dash, where I did, let's call a spade a spade, and because y'all been calling us spades. And <laughs> <laughs> with that, have you seen – I talk about this often, and I tell people, don't let this stop you, but let it empower you. There is a difference in PR if you are Black, man, woman, whatnot, because we've done even testing with, you know, some clients and friends of clients where if a Black person sends the email, Black-sounding type name, or if Jennifer or Becky or Karen sends it, we get a quicker response. And we've proven that. Have you seen that same thing or am I tripping? Well, no, you're not tripping. Uh, I think that my name, because Valerie Harris, uh, I think they're not sure. (laughs) So I haven't seen it personally, but I am aware of what you're talking about. And that's not just in the PR industry. Many years ago, and I'd have to find this article, so don't don't hold me to the, the specifics, but I think it was in Cosmo or or somewhere like that, where they did, where they sent the exact same resume and they changed the names to something that sounded more ethnic and not. And everything from the name down was exactly the same. And I don't know, five out of, you know, five to one, the, the non-ethnic sounding name, those people were called in for an interview, but the resume was at exactly the same. So I do believe that as uh as a reality. Um, I think it's a, a reality. I think, you know, discrimination or racism is a reality in the industry all around. Uh, one of the videos I remember seeing of, is a few months might've been longer than that, but on the red carpet, you know, how they treat um, uh, media of color. And I don't know if you saw the one where Halle Berry, whatever movie it was, she was being interviewed and they had moved the, um, African-American media to the end of the line. And then they said, oh, well, we, we have to go now. We have to go now. And Hallie said, wait a minute. I got I to give my sister some love. And she actually came back and interviewed with African-American media. So I think on both sides, it's one of those things, like in the country we're in right now, that is ultra polarized, is something that we just have to continue to push back and, and fight against. Definitely, definitely. And I remember all those examples and, you know, going back in, in the resume, I, I just like to throw it out because sometimes I say maybe I'm in a, a different bubble, but right now I really don't care. Like even from my hair, it's a rebellion to say we can still do this work. Our white clients who honestly are some of our highest paying clients and, you know, they, uh, some of the quickest paying too. Mm-hmm. They don't care what my hair looks like. But when I go to my black organizations, you know, depending on how I have it styled and what I'm wearing, I wear a lot of African wear, but everything I wear is custom. And I have suits, you know, custom too. But I, they, 
it's an issue inside the black community sometimes. And so then I think it reflects outside because somebody will hear, oh no, they should be looking like this today. Oh, Wakanda came out? No, no, no. He should be greeting us like this instead of, you know, the, the pound. And I'm just in my, again, I've, I've been able in dang near 20 years to prove myself. So it's like, either you want it or you don't. Right. And, and it's okay if you don't. Half the time I'm saying no anyway, because it's just something I'm not interested in. Um, or you have those crazy clients. I know you've dealt with this. Can you, okay, I'll pay your rate, Valerie, whatever it is. I want to be famous next week. <laughs> yeah, that one. So I have several. That one, the one where, and I call it, it was actually this one, when, especially when Oprah was on primetime. Uh, can you get me on Oprah? <laughs> I, that, that's one I get a lot. I used to get a lot. And then the other one that, that I, I always speak to is when, if they say, can you guarantee me coverage? You know, and I tell people, you know, mentees I've had, I was like, do not ever guarantee anybody's coverage. And anyone who guaranteed, like totally guarantees coverage, you need to turn around and run from them because we are only one nine eleven away from nobody getting coverage. And we joke about nine eleven because we say that the only person who was happy that 9-11 happened was Gary Condit. Remember the congressman who they thought had killed Shonda Levy and he was just in the news and 9-11 hit and he just, he was off. I said, he's one person I know in, in the country who was probably glad that 9-11 happened, but I would I never guarantee coverage to anyone. And what I tell them, and I've given, I've actually given czars this, they've asked, well, how do I answer? So here's how I answer this question. Can you guarantee me press? And I say, no, I can't. But I have a 100% track record of getting press for every client I've ever had. So I've got a good track record. But what I'd like for you to know is that I could no more guarantee you press than an attorney can guarantee you a not guilty verdict. But you're going to hire that attorney to represent you and you're hiring them for his expertise, him or her for their expertise. So that's the same here. You're hiring me for my expertise. I will do an outstanding job, but I will not guarantee you press. So. And that is crucial. And whenever you use the, uh, you know, use attorneys and what they get paid and why, you know, publicists are, are getting this and that, I think that's so crucial because, because um, unless you own the media house, you don't know. And that's right. I, I own things and I have, you know, ownership in things and I still won't guarantee you that because I think it's in bad form. That, you know, because I should just be selling you advertisement for that platform instead exactly, of. Exactly, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Guarantee and earn media is, and I hear people do it all the time. And I've had, I've had clients or potential clients come to me who have left other people who, who said they could guarantee it. Now, if you, if it's going to be paid media, I mean, of course we can, we can guarantee that, but not earn media. Yes. What do you think about some of the tricks people are using now with, you know, guaranteeing because they're going to buy their way onto the backlinks of Forbes or buy their way onto the, any backlinks or they are going to get paid what Cision says the media thing is worth, you know, on the back end. I'll, I'll get paid off what I produce, but if that thing is, Cision says that thing is $60,000, your client doesn't have $60,000. Right, right. I don't do that either because, because 
really what, what you're asking me to do is to, is to prove myself and me coming to the table with my portfolio proves what I could do for you. So I typically, I'm not that I haven't ever accepted back in pay, but not for that reason. Ms. Valerie, I appreciate your time and I don't want to give the people a game overload. Where can people find you and are there any one-on-one -on -one courses that they can hire you for? Well, I, I've actually, you know, I do media training for people, which I think is very important. I cringe every day, interviews on the news. I'm like, ah, don't say that. So I do media training. Um, I'm in the process of, well, not me, but I'm having my website redesigned. But people can find me on Twitter and Instagram, and it's at creative, P-U-B-R-E-L. I had to think about it because you just look for it. At creative, P-U-B-R-E-L. And then on Facebook is, is Creative Public Relations. Okay, okay. And are those courses they can buy? Are they already packaged up and, you know, set price? No, they're not. What, if people come to me for media training, it typically is, you know, just a consulting fee. But mm -hmm. you're giving me ideas, Kellen. I might, I might package some, so. I think we all should have, um, I also have a publishing company because I like to write. And even my oldest has written a book. My wife has written a book. Wow, that's awesome. And when you have your own publishing company, you're not self-publishing. Therefore, you're looked at differently from the libraries. And there's also these um, secret, um, secret society type groups. After you get so many books, they allow you to come in uh, especially if it's like children's books. And I love writing children's books based on our travels because it's a cool way to document so my kids can never say, we never went anywhere. Hold on, pick up that book over there. <laughs> well, you're very inspiring and very, very enterprising and entrepreneurial. So we definitely have to stay in contact. I want to hear more about um, Africa. I have a mentee in Ghana. His name is, and uh, he uh, um, maybe I'll connect you. He is a PR person as well. Okay. Okay. Well, I, I tell you, you're about to get some links. It almost might look like homework. Um, that's why I created the, the site to show people, look, you can go find what you want to find because there's too much going on in these countries for us not to get a piece. China's already got their piece and they're selling it back to us, you know, threefold in some countries and what is stopping us especially I've never felt like America was home um, because I was never fully comfortable everywhere I went mm -hmm. you know I, I can go anywhere I want to go I can live anywhere I want to live but when you go you know the feeling that you do get when you go to probably Paris you just feel like hey I'm not a I'm just not a I'm not a black anything. I'm just an American. I'm just a person. Right. And right. Afri Africa, that feeling is at least threefold because everyone's welcome, welcome. Come eat, come eat. Let me take you here. Um, many a times you won't even be able to pay for stuff depending on your crowd of people where I'll give you some insight here. This is free game, you guys. Game overload. Well, that's outstanding. And that's why I love to go to the Caribbean, like Jamaica now, because it's just like everybody looks like me and we are all, you don't, you don't feel, you know, different in any way. 
it's even cheaper. Your own driver in most countries for the month, and this is overpayment, $150. Wow. You know, for a, a chauffeur um, to be driven, your own, uh, your, your house help, overpayment, $150. That's why you only need $3,000 a month to be rich out there in most countries. You know, maybe there's two exceptions, um, but where you're going to go and be comfortable, that's all you'll need. So, yeah, we'll definitely, I'm going to send you over some links. Check this out. I can't wait. I'm, a, I'm inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I thank you for coming on and giving the game, showing entrepreneurs how to start, sustain, and succeed in business. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversify Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit diversifygame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.